Welcome back to the Sporting Max Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Beckon Maintenance, high pressure washing, facility maintenance, and commercial sanitization. Check them out at beckon.com.au. Here's your host, Max Becker. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Sporting Max, where today we're with former NBL player and current NBL analyst and commentator, the man himself, Corey Homicide Williams. Welcome, man. How are you doing? What's going on, young fella? I'm doing well. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. You know, start of school holidays, um, playing ball, smashing out the potties. That's what's up. That's what's up. Yeah. So now you were born and raised in New York City. Tell me about growing up in your childhood and the start of school life for you. Oh, man. New York was an incredible place to grow up. Um, A lot of stuff going on. Um, I was just glad that I was able to find something that I loved to do at a young age, which was play basketball. And um, kept me on a straight and narrow and it kept me out of trouble because uh, New York growing up back in the day was a was like the wild, wild west. Whatever, <laughs> all the bad things that you wouldn't want to grow up in as a child was available. So yeah. it, I was just lucky that I found something at a young age that deterred me from doing negative. You get what I'm saying? I just focus yep. more on the positive because I found my passion early. So you got an offer to play junior college for Penn Valley in Kansas City. You helped them to the NJCAA Men's Div 2 Championship in 95-96. Then you were named the JUCO uh, First Team All-American as a sophomore. How did these honours make you feel? Um, and Did you have a clear vision of what sort of calibre of player you wanted to be at that stage? Well, it felt great winning a championship. Um, the next year, we actually lost in the championship at the buzzer. So I almost went back to back in junior college. And um, yeah, to receive um, top five player in the country for Division Two, it was a great honor because I wrote down everything I wanted to accomplish that, that season. And I pretty much accomplished everything that I wanted except winning another championship. But, um, you know, in life, you don't get everything you want all the time. But I was very grateful that I understood the power of words and writing down your goals and working hard until you're able to hit the target. So I knew at a young age, that's what I had to do to get better and to achieve the success at a young age that I, w- I was achieving at the time. After that, um, I went to an HBCU, which was Alabama State. And yeah. so far, up, up until that point, that's what I wanted to do. You know, I, I knew I needed to get better, so I needed to go to a junior college and work extremely hard. And it was just more focused on getting better individually, graduating with a university degree, and then getting college offers and getting the success that I set out to do at that point. So after Alabama State, um, you, you did a degree, got a degree in criminal justice there in 2000. Were you looking at like, if basketball didn't work out for you, like fall back on that? Or was it always just, you know, basketball, that's what I'm gonna do? Well. For me, I have a mentality that I call a no plan B mentality. Whatever I sort out to do, that's what I'm going to do. Regardless of how difficult the path may be, this is what I'm going to do. Once I left Alabama State, um, I didn't, you know, have big numbers. It's not like I went to Duke University and averaged 15 to 20 points a game. I went to a small university. My senior year didn't go as well as I planned on. 
it going. So I averaged about 10 points a game. Um, so the hard route was next for me. Little did I know how hard it was going to be. But while at Alabama State, yes, I graduated with my second degree, which is criminal justice. And I specialized in juvenile justice. The reason why I specialized in juvenile justice was because I knew that I wasn't any different than a lot of the, the young juveniles in the neighborhood that I grew up in, those high risk areas. And I knew that in those areas, if you can see somebody, you can identify with who looks like you and comes from where you come from and had similar struggles that you have, you're, you're able to identify with them. I can go back to my old neighborhoods or neighborhoods like where I grew up and say, listen, I came out of here and found something positive to do with my life. You can do the same. Yep. So that's why I wanted to focus on juvenile justice to target the at-risk youth. And that age group is from 13 to 18. Those are when you make decisions based off of peer pressure and things of that, of that nature. So to help keep young, young kids, young men and women, young boys and girls on the straight and narrow, I wanted to use my life as a, a blueprint of what not to do and this is what you can become or what you should do. And this is what, how you stay out of trouble and what you can become. That's why I took, chose juvenile justice to study. After Alabama State and um, college sort of thing, um, you decided to go out on the street and play some street ball. Uh, you know, earn the name Homicide out there. So can you sort of tell me about how that developed and came around? Well, I didn't plan on going to play street ball. I had no alternative. Usually when you're a talented college senior, agents come to recruit you um, to either get you a shot in the NBA or get you a shot directly overseas. And agents call you. I didn't have that. My numbers, and at that point, I wasn't good enough for an opportunity to play in the NBA or overseas or for an agent to represent me. So I would have to go pay my way to go to free agent camps. So basically what a free agent camp is, it's a bunch of guys that are unknown and playing basketball for over a weekend, playing a bunch of games in front of agents. And if agents like you, they select you to potentially represent you. Yeah. So I would have to pay my own way into these camps. You know, I would jump on a bus that'll take you out of state because I'm fresh out of college. So I didn't have any money. And, you know, I would ask my mom or I would ask my, my old coach from high school. Can they give me a couple of dollars to scramble up to get a, get on a bus to pay the, to pay the fee to get into the camp and pay the bus ticket round trip and a hotel yeah. and to eat. So this is what you call a grind, you know, everything earned, not given. And this was the route that I had to go. And lucky for me, I'm from New York. So street ball was huge back in those days. So I was able to just tell myself, look, I'm going to get a shot to the NBA from street basketball. I'm going to blow myself up. I'm going to kill the competition and I'm going to force them to come pick me up. And, you know, again, the power in words. Years later, um, Toronto Raptors assistant coach came to the playground and watched me play. And I got a shot directly to the NBA from street basketball. 
So what were some of your like favorite moments or highlights of yourself from back when playing streetball? Mm. Um, first one, I always talk about it because I know this, this matchup changed my life. Uh, when I played against Ron Artest, he was a defensive player of the year for Indiana Pacers. After that game, I had about, what, 26 points, and I received MVP of Rucker Park after that performance. Wow. It was in the playoffs. This might have been a, maybe one or two months after Ron was named Defensive Player of the Year. So this was the toughest matchup I've ever had in my life till this day. Like, it's Ron Test. After that, I felt if he couldn't stop me, nobody one-on-one could. So the next big matchup I had was J.R. Smith, Dante Jones, <laughs> a, guy named, a guy named Kenny Satterfield. They were all on the same team. Another guy named um, Ali Moe, which was a streetball legend. God bless the dead, he died. And another guy named Big Strickland. He was the center. Another streetball legend. Now, those are three active NBA players on that team. And I finished that game with 45 or 47, something like that. Wow. So, I mean, there was, there was tons of games like that in the playground. Like, you know, not just because it's me, but you don't get a nickname like Homicide for, for nothing. You know, this yeah. is just what I was known. You know, you come into that playground in that park, you're going to get buckets. Win, lose, or draw, I'm leaving with numbers. So these were games that would get me a lot of exposure because these games were also – Rucker Park was sponsored by NBA TV. So it gave me global recognition because our games were specifically on NBA TV. So even if you weren't in America and you had NBA TV in Italy, in Spain, Europe, Asia, you and you watched the Rucker Park games, you would, you would catch me yeah. doing my thing. So you spent a year touring with the Harlem Globetrotters. What was this experience like for you? Um, to be on tour with some of the best athletes on earth? Well, I want to be specific. I was on tour with the Globetrotters, but I was not a Harlem Globetrotter. I was, this was my first job. I was literally on the team the Globetrotters beat every day. So that was the Washington Generals, the New York Nationals were their names. So what that did for me was I had a choice. You know, I was fresh out of school. It was, there was no other opportunity for me. It was either be home or take your behind on this tour and at least you're not home, you're making some kind of money and it's at least the journey's begun. And, you know, the biggest thing I can tell you about that is you'd rather start somewhere than sit on your behind and just wish for things to happen. You know, that yeah. story's no different than, you know, there's some actors that, you know, had the chicken suit on giving out flyers in Hollywood before they got their big break to become an A-list actor. You get what I mean? Like yeah. you have to start somewhere. Everybody's road and everybody's path is different. But as long as you believe in yourself and your journey and have a positive and optimistic mentality about life, more good would happen to you than, than negative. And that's just what's been my life and that's what created my journey just always having the opportunity to believe in myself and know things are going to work out you spent a year in the dominican republic with club san carlos tell me about what it's like to play overseas in a foreign country 
Well, it was great. Um, you know, life as an import player, it's different. It's culture shock. But again, it's your mentality and how you approach situations that you're in. You see, when you're not seven foot, and you're not LeBron James and you're not Kobe Bryant and you're not these superstars, you have to have a bit of mental flexibility in order to make things work. You have to have a different type of mentality and perspective on life to make things work. You have to make things make sense that may not make sense. You know what I mean? Like you just yeah, have to, 100%. You, you, you literally have to like, all right, I'm in the Dominican Republic right now. And guess what? It's an opportunity to earn money. This is a profession. What is a professional player? Somebody that gets paid to do work. That's what a professional is. So just because it's not the NBA doesn't mean it's not a professional job, you know? And I just wanted to go there and do my best and show the league and show my team that I'm worthy of this spot. So I went over there and I, you know, I bowled out hard. I averaged probably about 25 and five, five assists, five rebounds. And yeah, it, it was a good opportunity to get game film and then show people for my next potential opportunity this is what I did in my last job. Here's a highlight reel. This is how I play. And hopefully an agent can help me get to the next league. And that's how it worked. The next few years you were uh, with the Brooklyn Kings um, and then over in Brazil then back to the Kings and then with 08 um, to finish off Stockholm. with 08 Stockholm. Yeah. yeah. Did you find it difficult um, to sort of pick yourself up and keep on traveling and you know, make new mates and things like that? No, again, um, I've always wanted to travel the world. And I mean, what an incredible life. You're doing what you love to do, getting paid for it and seeing the world. How can I be, how can I be mad at that? Yeah. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. If this is what you signed up for and this is what you wanted to do, guess what? Make it happen. Create new friends. That had to put me in a situation where I came out of my shell. And I had to have different types of friends and extended family in all, all the countries I've played in and traveled. And that has helped me become more of a well-rounded individual. That's the best education you can get. Like, what a great life. What a great life. You are traveling the globe, learning different languages, different types of food, you know, the way people live different, how people just eat different and, and, and treat each other different. And, you know, when I look back now on my life, I sit back and I'm like, man, the perspective that I have, the view that I have and the outlook that I have is completely different than people that I've known at home that's never left home. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's a great life, if you ask me. So what have you, like, what did you get out of that whole experience of, just of traveling? Um, I've grown so much. Um, I've done everything in this world that I've ever wanted to do. I have no regrets. Um, I've lived out my dreams and I'm still living my dreams. You know, I don't wake up angry. I wake up happy. I'm able to be myself. Do you know how many people wake up every day and hate their lives yep. and can't be themselves? and can't tell the truth and have to play a game and have to play politics. I'm the complete opposite. I'm myself. I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for the route that I went. 
there was a lot of peaks and valleys, but that's life. You know what I mean? You have to have perspective with this. You know, there's a lot of times doors were closed. That's okay. I'll just back up, go right. And if that doesn't work, I'll back up, go left. You know what I mean? I'll go yeah. back around this way and get to where I'm getting to. So you have to have a different type of mentality to be able to do that while not losing yourself. So I'm very grateful that traveling has able, enabled me to do that. I knew if I know if I didn't follow my dreams, I'd be miserable somewhere in the world. And I would have lived with regret with what if I would have followed my dreams? I never wanted to live with what if. I'd rather fail doing something that I wanted to do. And then I can live with myself because yeah. I tried as opposed to fear of failing and don't try. Then it's regret. Then it's the what if. That's not a way I live. Many people can live like that, but that's not me. You were a part of the 2004 Denver Nuggets rookie camp. Do you think this was also a great learning experience for yourself on the side of like um, playing with guys who have experience and things like that? Yeah, for sure. You know, I had opportunities to try and make it in the NBA. I played preseason. I played summer league. I went to the minor leagues. The, the, it's the G League now, but back then it was the D League, you know, starting point guard, won the championship. I've had, I've had a great life. You know, I, I can't complain at all, and I wouldn't. All these experiences make me who I am. It makes me who I am, and I'm very grateful for all the experiences. You know, again, my life in a nutshell, I've played the game that I've adored ever since playing this game for 14 years professionally. I've been on five continents playing professionally, and now I talk for a living. How can I complain about my life? Yeah. <laughs> you get what I'm saying? Yeah. I'm grateful. That's the word. If I have no other word that I could describe myself and my life, grateful. You mentioned earlier that you were noticed by Toronto Raptors assistant coach Jim Todd, um, then signing with them for their training camp. Take me through the process of signing mm -hmm. for, with them for the training camp and how it all went down. It was, it was awesome. Um, the game that I mentioned earlier was when I played against, I told you, J.R. Smith, Dante yeah. Jones, Kenny Sat, um, you know, Ali Moan, Big Strick. This was a huge game at Rucker Park opening day it was this game had so much hype because of the players on the court and the battles and that game was on NBA TV so after when I did what I did like 45 or 47 points one of them and it went it went it went crazy everybody got wind of this and Jim Todd found out about me through the channels and um, he called me one day and said, Homicide, how you doing? I said, Coach, what's going on? He said, I heard about what you did down there. You killed him. I said, you know, it was just a good game, Coach. I was just happy <laughs> that I had a good game. He said, what you doing today? Where are you playing at? I said, he said, you got a game? I said, yeah. He said, where? Rucker? I said, no. Nah. He said, Hunt Pro City, Hunter College? I said, no. He said, where? said, I play at Dykeman. He said, what time? I said, 7.30. He said, all right, I'll be there. I said, cool, I'll see you then. Hung up the phone. Yeah, and there was a fork in the road. You know, it was either now you have an NBA coach 
coming to see you play in your backyard, right? It could, you, the setup couldn't be any better. You know, it's not like I'm going to show what I can do in an NBA arena, right? That's not my, that's not my, my arena. But you come into a playground, that's my home court. I got home court advantage. So it should be easy for me to perform the level that I need to, to show this guy I can play at that level. And he came in, um, I had 25 at half, got a standing ovation. And the next uh, half, I finished with 29 points. I only scored twice after that because the double team started to come. Now I knew at the elite level, they don't need me to score. I just need to pass it and penetrate and kick it to the open man. You get, get what I'm saying? Yeah. I understood the difference between street ball and fundamental basketball. A double comes, kick it to the open man. Whether he makes the shot or not, that's not on me. But I'm showing the coach the ability to read the defense and make the right plays. That was enough for him. On top of my ability to get to the basket, that was enough for him to know that as a point guard, this is what they were looking for, for that third position. And that got me straight to training camp. I played eight preseason games, and I just missed out on making that final roster. So what helped me in the big picture with that was, even though I did not make the final regular season roster, I got a better agent, and that put me in a position to get better jobs and a better salary. Because once you get cut from the NBA, you're still looked at as your borderline on the NBA. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. For example, you see guys in the NBL now, a lot of guys, borderline NBA players, and they're getting good jobs in the NBL. So that's how yeah. the system pretty much works. So you played with the Indiana Pacers during the NBA Summer League in July two, 2006. Talk to me about how you felt um, when being given the opportunity to play in that NBA Summer League. Um, the opportunity to play with Indiana Pacers was cool. I had just came back from the minor leagues. Um, I was first team all uh, – no, I wasn't. I was second team. I was the second best point guard in the minor league that year. I led it with triple-doubles. So teams were coming to me for summer league uh, positions, opportunities. And I chose Indiana because they told my agent, you'll play half the game. That was the first team that wanted me. So I figured they want me. That means they're going to play me. Summer league only works, as you know, with the game. Summer league only works. As you know, as you know, summer league only works if they play you. And, you know, sometimes teams will tell you and your agent one thing. And then when you get there, it's something completely different. And they didn't play me. And, you know, that's just what it was. So I didn't get the opportunity that I wanted to show at Summer League with um, Indiana. So you've been to the NBA Summer League and been given um, opportunities at NBA training camps. Um, now you go to Australia and sign with the Townsville Crocodiles. When and how did this all start to evolve for you? Well, the following year, I had went to Denver and then got waived. Then I went to the minor leagues and played, and we won the championship, Dakota Wizards. After that, I went to summer league with Golden State. Didn't barely play. Yeah. And from there, I'm like, okay, I'm a little bit older. And before my resume 
didn't look good at all. But after I got the shot to the NBA with Toronto the first time, it went like this. Toronto, minor league, summer league, Denver, minor league, summer league. So I've been on the cusp. I've been around in that, in, uh, in those channels yeah. where guys now, their resume look like, man, this guy's right on the cusp of being an NBA player, but he might be missing one or two things. However, his talent can now is respected and can go abroad to a good country and be in a good position, right? So my agent says to me, the way your style of play is, you would work well in Australia. It's run and gun. You know, you'll have the opportunity to, you know, run the show and, and do your thing. So it's really about the right country, your style of play, and getting the right opportunity that will determine your success. And I came to Australia. I was supposed to be a Perth Wildcat. Scott Fisher was the coach at the time. In the last two, three years, he wanted me. He was recruiting me hard. And I finally was like, okay, I'll go to um, Perth. And I got the verbal agreement. I said, I'll go. The next day, Trevor Gleason was the Townsville head coach who yeah. called my agent. And they needed a guy immediately. Perth needed to go talk to the front office and release a guy. And I'm saying to myself, funny how life works. I'm saying to myself, well, if a team wants me now, the salary's pretty much the same. Why would I wait for a team to release a player when I can go to this team right now? I said, well, I guess I'll go to Townsville. And I, um, I emailed back Scott Fisher and told him that, I won't be going to Perth. I'm going to Townsville. And that's how I chose Townsville. That was the best decision for me without me even knowing. Because if you follow the NBL, I'm not a prototypical import player that Perth Wildcats usually recruit. They have a certain style of imports that they recruit. And again, it's about team, country, style of play. My style of play fit better for Townsville. And I believe that's why I was able to have um, the success that I had with that club. You spent three seasons with the Crocodiles, leading them to semi-final berths. And in your third season, you won the NBL MVP. What does that mean to you? Well, what sucks the most is that in my first year, you know, I, I showed people that, you know, I could play in this league. Yeah. I got a two-year contract after that. Year two, I lost game three. We lost game three to go to the grand final. Like, this is how close our team was. Yeah. Year three, we lost game three to go to the grand final again. Now, mind you, this yeah. is a bunch of underdogs. This is Townsville, right? We yeah. ain't the Sydney Kings. We're not Perth. And we're not Melbourne Tigers, the teams that usually walk into the grand final. So yeah. <laughs> I'm just trying to let you know how close we were. It's literally like had we had home court advantage, I don't went to the grand finals both years. We would have went. And that's just the difference between the inches, like how close we actually were. So I really, I really believe that we could have got to the grand finals, but you know, we didn't. And it was, it was, it was obviously, you know, 
I didn't sort out to be MVP of the league. I sort out to win a championship. But, you know, also grateful for the accolade as well. I wouldn't be sitting here telling you. I'd, I'd be lying if I said, you know, it didn't feel good to get an MVP of the league. But because it did. But I really, we were that close to getting to a grand final. And I think that that's what I really wanted to do for the city of Townsville. I love that place till this day. You know, because if it wasn't for Townsville, I wouldn't be sitting here today. That's just the reality of it. So, yeah. Cut by Townsville, and then you joined the Melbourne Tigers in 2010. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Wait. What did you just say? Were you cut? No, my contract no. finished. Oh, that's right. You know, look, when your contract is done, your contract is finished. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. was Scotty Hobson but could cut you, by... Could, what, could you have resigned, though? Was Scotty was Scotty Hobson cut by New Zealand? No, no, his contract finished. They went their way. He went his way. You know what I mean? Like yeah. that's not cut is when in the middle of a contract you are let go. Yeah. That's cut. You know? So I had um went to Greece. You know, my contract was finished. So at that point, you know, it's just literally about which way you're going, what's the salary looking like? They're looking at op other options. I'm looking at other options. Your job is finished with the club. So yeah. that's just what occurred. Then I went to Greece. After Greece, I got uh they didn't pay me my money, so I left. And then I came back and Melbourne was uh Melbourne Tigers, I got signed by. Tell me about your time at the Tigers and um, Melbourne Tigers like Melbourne Tigers was a good one. Right. But it was we didn't win. I came in late. The team was what? Owen five. They started way before. You know, I was in Greece. They started and I came in. I joined the team. Um, that was a tough year because. A couple games after that, the head coach, Al Westover, gets fired. The import, Eric Devendorf, gets fired. So then I'm the only import there. Might have had like maybe 10 games left. We might have went five and five or four and six. And I literally, I was going to re-sign. They, we pretty much talked about um, giving me a two-year deal. Yeah. This is how it went in with Melvin Tigers. We, we had a verbal agreement for, for a two-year extension, but we don't know who the head coach is going to be. So we need to, <laughs> we need to hire the head coach first then we could discuss your situation. You know what I mean? Your two-year yeah. deal. I said, all right, cool. They hired Trevor Gleason. Oh. <laughs> Gleason was like, look, I'm pretty sure, I'm, I'm not saying it went like this, but I'm pretty sure it went like this. Gleason is like, first of all, I had three years with Corey. We're not doing this again. So <laughs> I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure it went like this. You know, Gleason and I, I guess we're a lot alike. We're demanding, you know, we butt heads yeah. a lot. Um, but look, I wasn't mad at that. I mean, I'm like, I, I can guarantee you pretty much went like that. Like, look, I'm not doing two more years with Corey. And Gleason just got coach of the year. So <laughs> he would have way more leverage in that situation. <laughs> it's so funny now, but um, I'm so, I'm happy for him. He's done extremely well, you know, the most winning against coach, I believe, in Perth Wildcats history. And I'm, I'm grateful for the time I had with him and because of, you know, because of him allowing me to play the way that I played, I wouldn't be here today.
So, you know, so you just got to always be grateful on how things worked out. I left the NBL and I went to the Middle East for five years. The next five seasons, I was in the Middle East. What was that like? That was great. Um, again, a different culture, different experience. They're really passionate about basketball in the Middle East. I was in Lebanon mainly. I was in Dubai. I was in Iraq. And um, just to play in that, that region of the world, um, it, it, it was great. You know, again, doing what I love to do and getting paid for it. I mean, I have no worries at all. You know, my goal was to play till I was 40. So if I'm traveling the world doing my thing, doing what I love to do, no problem. How did your job in the NBL commentary arise? Well, um, I, I was in Australia. There was a street ball tournament in Brisbane and the group that um, put the tournament together reached out to me and wanted me a part of it and felt because of my credibility as a playground, um, you know, as homicide, whatever, um, it would be a good look to be a part of the brand. Mm -hmm. And I came out and I was flying in from New York and I said, this tournament is only a weekend. I'm not flying here just for a weekend to fly back to New York. I'm going to fly to from Brisbane to Melbourne after the tournament and visit my friends in Melbourne because I haven't seen them since 2011 when I left yeah. Melbourne. This is 2015, I think, October 2015. And I started, um, you know, people got wind that I was in the country in Melbourne. And, you know, we just jumped on the phone and talked about some, you know, potential opportunities and things of that nature. And um, the ball began rolling slowly from there. And, you know, down the road, opportunities opened up and I left. I was still playing in the Middle East. So I was here for a couple of months. It was just the off season. And I literally um, was waiting for my contract to go back to Lebanon. While I was here, I began dabbling a bit in the commentary. And I felt like this is something that I could see myself doing post-basketball. You know, we, we just kept in contact after I left. And I'm going to say maybe a year later, a year and a half later, something like that. Um, the powers that be reached out. And I retired and came and I started, you know, being a full-time commentator and ambassador for the NBL. And it's been a great ride. It's been a great ride. So you co-host the NBL Overtime podcast with Liam Santa Maria, who we've had on the podcast. Um, and you also co-host it with Cam Luke too. Now I listen to each episode, but for those who don't um, and don't know about the podcast, I've asked Liam this same question. Give me a rundown of what goes on in the podcast. So it's not a podcast. It's only a podcast because of COVID. It's yeah. a show that's on ESPN. It's an award-winning show, actually. So um, it's on ESPN once a week. The rundown is basically we talk about the round before when it's regular season. We talk about the round. Let's say it's round five. So we'll discuss round four, the highlights, what we felt about what games, blah, blah, blah. We'll talk about the upcoming rounds. We talk about anything news related into in what's going on in between rounds and in the NBL. We might have a guest on, uh, yeah. injury updates, you know, and then we talk about our opinions we give our takes on certain things yeah you know certain players how they're playing how key players are playing well or not playing well 
You know, we break down games and what we see needs to go well in order for this team to get over the line with this upcoming matchup or why this player or this team isn't performing well with this matchup that they just lost. That's what we do. We give, you know, I specifically, I give hard takes, whether you like it or not. I'm just going to be honest with what I see. And, you know, sometimes it may come across harsh or a bit controversial. It's just not. It's just I'm just calling it as I see it. What's it like to work at ESPN Australia? Well, I specifically, we do not work in ESPN Australia, but we work for the NBL. However, the games are broadcasted on ESPN, SBS, Viceland as well, and SBS. So um, it's great. You know, it's a great look. It's a it's a great partnership. You know, um, the game is growing. And basketball right now has, in Australia has never been better. That's just the reality of it. I yeah. mean, if you look at all aspects of the sport in this country, it's thriving. We know on the grassroots level, the game thrives, right? Yep. Okay. We know at the junior level has one of the best programs in the world, which is Center of Excellence, formerly AIS, right? Then we know at the professional level, you have about 11, 12 Australians in the NBA, right? Some are four yep. former champions, some guys, you know, former number one picks. Um, Andrew Bogut just retired, NBA champion, former number one pick. Um, the Boomers program is top three in the world. They're third in the world behind um, USA and Spain. Then we talk about the domestic league, which is the NBL. It ain't a cupcake league. One yeah. of the best <laughs> leagues in the world outside the NBA. You know, so bas- it's, a, it's a great time right now for the game. So how do you feel about um, guys like Will Magnate to New Orleans and then Jay Sean Tate and Will Weaver to the Rockets? Well, it just goes to show you, it ain't a cupcake league, okay? Yeah. It's not about all imports, but it's great that imports get the opportunity to get to the NBA. You look at a guy like Will Magnate. I'm so proud of him, and I don't even know him personally. I'm proud of him because the year before, he was a development player. Do you realize the magnitude of this league? I don't think people really get it. This guy was a development player. This guy was a development player the year before. Yeah. Came in, got an opportunity, took advantage of the opportunity put himself in a position to get right to the NBA. That's the story. Look, the reality is Melo and RJ were going to the NBA regardless, okay? This was just a stop for them with the Next Stars program. Will Magnate wasn't on nobody's radar. That's a bigger story. That goes to show you how tough this league is. Because I don't know how many players were development player the year before and nobody knew them. And then the next year, they're in the NBA. That's why I'm proud of him more than anything else. Now, Melbourne United just got Jock Landau yesterday. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, biggest signing of the offseason. And also with Scotty Hobson, too. I saw oh, my one... goodness. <laughs> we, I, <laughs> I saw on one of your Instagram posts that you think it's going to be a United versus uh, the Breakers grand final series. Tell me about how you think um, this series would potentially go down. You know, I don't know. I think it's too easy to even, it's too early to even say. I'm going to yeah. just let people salivate at that matchup because let me tell you something about New Zealand. The way they finished off the end of last season was nothing short of beautiful, right? 
And then they right. re-signed pretty much everybody, right? And got Corey Webster's brother, Ty Webster. Then they couldn't get Scotty Hobson back, right? That deal just didn't happen. Yeah. However, you haven't lost, you haven't downgraded with Lamont Patterson, two-time All-NBL first team. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. They're similar players. So you didn't lose anything. If anything, you upgraded because he's first two-time first team All-NBL. But, you know, think about this. Now, Scotty Hobson is motivated and focused. The teams, well, the, the way Melbourne United stack their teams, right? They're strong at the point guard. They're strong with a big man inside. And the key is your small forward position, your three-man, yeah. right? That's yeah. when they won the championship, right? Last year, I believe they would have been in the championship had Casey Prather been injured, yeah. been, been healthy. Yeah. He was the key. Didn't happen. Now you got Scotty Hobson. Come on, man. And Jock <laughs> Landale? Come on, man. I know you're with me on this. Max, I know yeah, you know the vibe. Like we've seen, you know, we've what, seen Jock Landale at the FIBA World Cup last year. Come on, B. What do you think he's going to do as a local in this league? As a local? Come I think on, he, I reckon he's going to make first NBL all team. By far. Um, one of the best, potentially the best center in this league. Power forward center. And he's just going to do so, so much for Melbourne United. Um, he can, I, I he agree. Can, he can get outside, get inside, um, shoot the ball, get the boards. Exactly. Dish it off. He does everything. Exactly. But you know what's even more important? We didn't even talk about Chris Goulding yet. You get what I'm saying? Yeah, exactly. Like, you can't not help off anybody. Who are you going to help off of on the perimeter? Yeah. That <laughs> opens the floor up for a guy like Hobson. Come on, man. 1-4, one 1-5 one pick, and, pick and pop. Hobson Landale. Yeah. 2-4 pick and pop. Hobson Goulding. You know what I mean? Yeah, Pick yeah. and roll, Mitch McCarron and 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 uh Landale, Joel cool. You know what I'm like, man, yeah, yeah. Barlow, yo, man, they got the pieces. So um I don't see there's no way, bar an injury, of course, I'm saying these things. Like I believe that's the matchup. I don't believe Perth Wildcats have done enough. You lose a guy like Damian Martin, you know, like that's just got you at da Perth Wildcats and Damian Martin. Yeah, man. I just think that, you know. Losing Damian Martin, man, that's the heart and soul of that team. You know, I just don't think that um, with the pieces that they have, they'll be in the grand final. I just don't believe that. Same here. I mean, and you still haven't even talked about Shea Illy um, from Melbourne United. Defensively, defensively, yeah. man. Between him, hustle. between he and Mitch McCarron at that point, I feel sorry for point guards this yeah. season. I feel sorry for him. Because defensively, they are they they're savages defensively, you know. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, should be good. NBL twenty one should be good. I'm excited. New NBL team, the Jack Jumpers. If you're their head coach, if you're sorry, um, Simon Brookhouse, who are you taking um, as their head coach? I'm not sure yet. There's a lot of guys that that are that are out there, you know. Um, yep. I'm not sure. I'm not sure, but whoever um, that they do take, 
they should be ready to have strong ties in the community, you know, and um, be ready to do some, some hands-on work down there because Tasmania wanted it. Tasmania has it. We wanted Tasmania back into this league. So, you know, fan appreciation is a must and you have to have your feet on the ground. And so it has to be somebody I feel that knows the landscape down there and is willing to do, do the, do the hard yards and get out there in the community. What would be your best advice to anyone trying to make their way um, into a successful basketball or NBL media position um, like yourself or then on the flip side, um, make their way into a successful basketballer? Add value. Everybody likes people that add value, right? Yeah. Right. Everybody like, if you're going to join or want to join an organization, right, why should they pick you? What do you do? What do you do to make this organization better, right? Yeah. It's like if you, if you are CEO of a, of a company or a team, I'm not hiring you for you to not add any. You have to add value. Yeah. You know, so I think the biggest thing is um, be as knowledgeable as you can, be as educated as you can at the task at hand, at, you know, whatever company you're trying to be a part of. Yeah. By invaluable peace. So that way, as soon as you are invited, they're excited to have you on because you're going to bring a different dynamic, a different piece to, con to, to make this thing continue to go in the, pro the, the projected way it's supposed to be going. Yeah. Thanks, Corey, for uh, coming on the podcast and joining us on here today to give us insights into your life and NBL 21. Season's going to be exciting and it's been an absolute honour for you to put aside um, an hour or so of your time and come and have a chat today. Man, you're pretty good, man. I tell you 30 minutes and you got an hour out of me. That's not bad at all, man. You keep it up. I like that. Keep it uh, up. Thanks, Corey. Stay tuned, everyone, for some more Sporting <laughs> Max. Thanks for listening to Sporting Max. If you like this episode, please leave us a review or rating on iTunes and follow and subscribe to our channel on Instagram and YouTube.